Hey, this is Sean from the Wasted Knowledge Podcast. Welcome to part two of episode five of season two. My gosh, that's a lot to say of the Wasted Knowledge Podcast. So this is part two of the Eddie Webb interview. In this section, we're going to talk about uh, uh, jokes that should get retired or what happens when you retire jokes. Uh, Games, movies, more movies. Finishing work, taking pride in your work. The fact that writers are cool. Uh, the Prometheus comics, drinking memories, and of course, we're going to have a little malort. Sit back, relax, I hope you enjoy it, and of course, I'll see you on the flip side and online. Cheers. Yeah, I, there was a friend of mine, um, uh, he actually was, uh, uh, I, I hired him pretty frequently to work on some role-playing games with me, mm-hmm. um, and we had developed this running joke of I would fire him for, like, very trivial offenses, right? Um, and it's like, oh, you use common long place, you're fired. Mm-hmm. And it became this kind of running joke of me firing this guy. And then we started to notice that other people who like were just casual fans would also start to make the joke. And so point he's like, so this is not being funny anymore. This is just uh, kind of hurtful as people are actually kind of being mean about it. So it's like, because I had to formally retire the joke. <laughs> and it's like, you have all ruined it. It is now, it is now dead. You're not doing this joke anymore. That's, that's tough. I feel like... That's when you know a joke is caught on. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, like they like, caught on the wrong way. Right. Like, I'm thinking like like Chappelle, like when he at the height of his his previous fame, like people, he's like even talking about him getting stopped at like Disneyland. People going, was it Rick James? Yeah. And right. Going, like my children, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the joke wasn't a joke. People thought it was, and it's like no, you don't. You got to get the context, right? The presentation, right? And the characters. I'm not that character right now. This is, I mean, the the big problem I have with Monty Python. I love Monty Python, but so many people quote it so often and so randomly oh. that it stops being funny. Okay, yeah. The, the Holy Grail is particularly bad about this. <laughs> Because you play a D&D game, inevitably, on a long enough timeline, someone will quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Sure. Um, and it's like, if you aren't really steeped in Arthurian romances and British history, that stuff just doesn't make, isn't as funny as it makes much sense. And, you know, the context of the movie is kind of important. Um, so much Life of Brian, it's like, Life of Brian, if you take so much stuff out of context, it sounds really horribly bad. <laughs> And it's like, no, but it's, it, it's about yeah, the Bible and things. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Breaking fun of religion, it's kind of, but not really. Turtles in Time. Highly underrated. That is definitely a piece of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I, it was not as bad as Mario Brothers movie. I still love that movie. I had this really? conversation last week. I, I want to say I saw that like six or seven times in the first year that it was released. Okay. I, I mean... It was wrong, like as as compared to the video game. Any of the narrative oh, sure. there, I mean, it's, that didn't work. His name is literally Mario Mario. <laughs> At the same time, yeah, they never really tell you, do they? <laughs> no, I mean his, his last name is supposedly mentioned yeah. in the movie as Mario. So yeah. for his brother's name is Luigi Mario. Yeah, which Mario really Mario's bothers me. <laughs> so I'm ten years younger than you. So right. that joke to me was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mario Mario that's Luigi Mario right yeah right cool <laughs> I like and I, I'll watch John Leguizamo in anything well that's fair I, he was a great Luigi he was a, I want to say he was a great Luigi his take on Luigi was awesome maybe within the writing of the movie that Luigi was well, terrible I, I, I think, I but think, 
I appreciate it weirdly more now because I can read it as a parody of how dumb video game narrative was that time period. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, this makes no sense, and we're going to make fun of the fact that this makes no sense. And I got to appreciate it from that super standpoint. Right. And the same with like, the first Doom movie. The first Doom oh, movie yeah. is like, let's take the Doom movie and take it as seriously as possible. And it's just hilarious. And I don't think the movie's trying to be hilarious, but it really is because it's like this a video game narrative makes no sense as a movie. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the context I had this conversation in because it was going in these same steps, which is bizarre. But, <laughs> I, but I feel like maybe that's all of our experience is the fact that every few years, or maybe even every other year, somewhere someone's like, hey, let's make a movie based on this video game IP. Right. And whether it's, uh, was it Final Fantasy's done it a couple times, or yep. like, I'm like, uh, at, was it Spirits Within? I've ever seen yep. that in theaters. Uh, uh, Assassin's Creed got one, didn't it? Assassin's Creed got one. Mario's gotten one. Uh, uh, Hitman has gotten two, which I did not know. Oh, I, I knew about the first one. I the second one. I So, first of all, I did not see the Timothy Oliphant one, the first one. Oh, really? Until like four or five years after it came out. Oh, wow. And it was on USA, and I was like, this is actually halfway it's decent. Weirdly good, yeah. And I was like, I, I was angry because I, I followed everyone else's reviews, and I was like, okay, I don't want to ruin a franchise I love by watching the movie. Pretty good. To the death of the point, I'm, I played that game so much, I could play the entire game in an hour and a half. Oh, wow. Because I spent so much time playing it the first time that I knew everything. It took me forever. And I mentioned this to someone else. Like, you know, wait, was it the 2017, 2016 movie or the 2008 movie? I was like, <gasps> what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I love that someone tried again because obviously the first one didn't do well via normal box office ratings. Right. It was good enough. They're yeah. like, hey, I think we can do this again. It's just still a survival series. And video games have gotten better. Exactly. Writing has gotten better. So... I, th I think we're on a cusp of doing potentially a really good video game movie. Um, but I also survived the Max Payne movie, so I'm not entirely optimistic. <laughs> so, I, uh, I love Max Payne as a video game. Do I I'm trying to think of, like, you know what? I think there was. Because I, well, I played them, and I'm trying to think right. of, like, did I actually like them or did I play them because So, it was I like them because. It's mandatory. It is. I like them because. I'm a huge fan of noir, right? I love yeah. original noir. I grew up on noir. Um, and my great-grandfather literally got me a copy of the Maltese Falcon for my birthday in 84. I mean, I'm really steeped in noir. Um, but Max Payne is so perfectly on that cusp of not quite parody, mm. right? It's so heightened that it's like, it, it's like if it had just been performed a little bit differently, written just slightly bit differently, it would become parody. But it's just... On the t like, you're a private detective that's fighting the you know like Norse mythology. It's ridiculous, right? Um, at one point in time, you're in a level where you're following a trail of blood in your dreams. It's utterly bonkers, but it's it, it, it's it's so it takes itself so seriously that you kind of buy it. Yeah. And the movie either needed to do that or just straight up embrace the parody bullshit and just go completely wacko with it. And it did neither of those things. It actually played, tried to be Sin City. <laughs> it was really bad at being Sin City. So, I, uh, I haven't watched all of it yet. It's weird. We know we don't talk this much about pop culture, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, sort of watching the Witcher series. Oh, yes. And the good, bad, 
part of the touchstone for me yeah. is I loved like the old Hercules and Xena series. Yes. I guess are old now. Yep. And Highlander. And pretty yep. much all the sci-fi fantasy the, from that The time. 90s era yeah. sword and sorcery. Yeah. And I started watching like, oh, it's... Graphics are updated, but it's basically... It is! They got the same writers. I know how they got them. It really... It totally is. I, there's actually... I, I just saw today on YouTube. There actually is a someone who did a 90s version of the Witcher's intro. Like basically, uh, the, the, the title sequence in that style. So it's like the wow. narrator doing the overwrought intro, and then like the yeah. the, the flames across the screen. You see the actors' names. It's it's a it's straight up Hercules and Zena. It's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, no, The Witcher is very much emulating that style. It is um, because like people are like, well, I don't want to watch the grim dark fantasy. It's like it's not really because like it's kind of grim dark, and then Jaskier comes in and just fucks it all up. <laughs> And Jasper is amazing. He's the best worst part ever. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, it, 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 that's something I love about like the Richard Hercules series. Is like Hercules is trying to be serious, and like his buddy was like, "But no." <laughs> and that was that, that kind of buddy dynamic was very much that kind of '90s statement. So, is is there a part of your writing then that um, or creating, say that? Well, you take like the most satisfaction, right? Whether it's a mundane task or a huge accomplishment, it's like as you're doing your day-to-day schlog, it's like yes, I did it. That's just right. That's the way I'm like. I'm gonna send that off, or I'm gonna. There's there's two kind of things that there's the craft and there's the appreciation side of it. Like sure. um, the appreciation from, from you as a labor laborer. So so from here the pure craft thing. Yeah. Um. The easy answer is just finishing. I mean, because frankly, there's a reason why okay. writers drink. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, I have to do 2,000 more words of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but in more seriousness, um, I do appreciate when I can do something in a way that gets a point across without being obvious. Without uh, being obvious. Okay. Um, and it's hard, particularly in things like interactive fiction, because you have to broadcast to the players so much what you need them to do mm-hmm. um, that a lot of times subtlety is really lost in interactive fiction. Um, digression, but a random example is it is really hard to get NPCs to lie in a video game. Because if, if an NPC comes to you and lies to you and you do that, you as a player feel betrayed. Like, right. really deeply betrayed. So unless you really broadcast very clearly, hey, by the way, people are going to lie to you in this game, and you have to keep reiterating, oh, by the way, just in case you forgot, they're going to lie to you. And then they actually lie to you, and then bookend that by saying, by the way, they probably lied to you. Is the only way you can really get that across. Like, oh, I guess that guy lied to me. You know what I mean? That's, there's a weird amount of you have to be really overt in video games to really get that idea across. So every once in a while, when I can get something in a little subtle and sneak it in, and people are getting it. Yeah. Um, but again, like the, like the call to walk, little things where I put it in there, going, no one will probably get this, and then I find that one person online is like, oh, I get it, you know. But I mean, even as a craft, it's like where I can put that in, but also reading the narrative flat doesn't impact it. Um, here's actually a good example. Um, just today, I actually have been working on a. Um, a supplement for professional wrestling. Right. Uh, um, there's a superhero game that I worked on called Aberrance, where it's shoot the superhero set in the far future, or not far future, near future, so 2028. Um, 
And one of the things that's cool about this game is it talks about media saturation. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what happens if you're super in a world with Twitter and streaming? It's like, why would you live stream you beating up you know, your enemies? So it's a lot of the, how do you juxtapose social media with superheroes? Um, and so professional wrestling is kind of a nice intersection of those two things. It's very much glamour and glitz and media, but also professional wrestling in the real world so she can get to superheroes in real life. Um, and so I'm writing about uh, uh, what it's like to be in this kind of situation. It's like what kinds of things that go through your mind as a pro wrestler. And actually I have friends who have been pro wrestlers. I'm a, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. Um, so I had lots of inadvertent research just years of being a fan, but also having friends who've been in the business and the kind of struggles and horrible shit they go through. Yeah. Mm. And one of the lines I put in there was along the lines of like, um, uh, you have to be able to every day go out there night after night to make sure that you're doing the best you can for the thousands in attendance and millions watching at home. The phrase, thousands in attendance and millions watching at home, is actually a callback to a group called the Generation X. Because that's something they would say every night when they come out, like, to thousands of attendance and millions watching at home, let's get ready to suck it. That was their catchphrase. So if you know wrestling, you, that particular collection of words has a particular resonance for you. If you don't know wrestling, it's still a perfectly serviceable sentence. Mm -hmm. And so when people are going, people who don't get it can still feel like they're getting attacked. I mean, the sentence still reads exactly as this, but people who are deep fans will go, oh, I see what you're doing here. Um, I find those, that, that, that it, it scratches my I'm being clever itch, but instead of impeding the text, like I talked about earlier with the alcoholism thing, where it's like, instead of diluting and conflicting and obscuring the text, instead it's like people are giving this a layer. I find satisfaction in that when those things kind of come out. And say, okay, I, 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 multiple audiences are going to get slightly different things out of this, but everyone's going to get the same basic topic out of that. Right. I find that enjoyable from a pure craft perspective. So, awesome. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's wonderful. I ask that. Uh, Am I... Mm -hmm. I, I may edit this part out, but the whole reason I asked that... Mm -hmm. I was at Dragon Con this last year, mm -hmm. and a friend of mine was speaking on a panel about um, uh, basically essentially burnout in game development. Okay. And indeed, it's a real thing. AAA, absolutely. I wrote my thesis on it. I, my whole oh, thesis wow. research project was on whether or not theater could inform, theater development practices could inform games for the purpose of curbing burnout. But like, oh, really? I wanted to explore that because, like, look, there's this other high pressure, high intensity, high cost, high diversity. Uh, essentially development practice that's in effect that's been in effect for at least a hundred years yeah that doesn't seem to have as much turnover yeah burnout that's interesting thing. so I'm passionate about that kind of stuff yeah so I went and my friend was on this panel and just to be a little more obscure I mean, this was out in public they were on this panel and another person on this panel was an executive for Epic uh, Epic Games people okay. that Fortnite uh, yeah. so he was kind of there as a counterpoint but he very graciously came on the panel uh, and at one point he made he was talking about like how people like you know like the amount of work and then the personal cost he's like look we have to do all this analysis we have to do testing and this has to come out on time because we spent so much money this has to happen 
Right. I mean, like, and like, and like, so, so, all of this work that just has, that has to get done just has to get done. It's not real work. It's just labor. It's just this thing gets done. Right. Brick on top of brick on top of brick. Mm-hmm. And his example was, as he pointed to the room, he was like, do you think the people who line up these chairs that you're sitting in take any pride in lining up chairs? Wow. And that, that worked because he obviously has never lined up chairs. Sure. He's never set up a room. He's never plugged in a mic. He's never flipped a burger. He's probably never made a cocktail. Right. En masse. I'm sure he does it at parties at his large house. Sure. And it's the fact that he, he completely missed the fact that people do take pride in small in little things in their work. Right. And that's, and that's I think, an important thing. Like, um, one thing that I differ with a lot of my writing peers on is a lot of them embrace the, the, the art side of it, right? You know, the capital A. It's like, I am going to go sure. and make art. Theater. Theater. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, um, whereas I think theater folks probably have more things like, you know, it's, it's cool to do art, but you have to do it consistently right. night after night on a timetable. And I feel the same way as a craftsman. It's like, there are some days where it's like, I would really much rather fuck off and play the Nintendo Switch for six hours. I really don't want to sit in front of a computer and write 2,000 words, 1,000 words, whatever. But I say I'm going to do it. And there are certainly times where I write perfectly serviceable words. They're not great. I will never probably remember them. I probably forget them 20 minutes after I submit them in for payment, you know? Sure. Um, they're not great, but they're good. And. I think the craft and the, the repeatable craft is so important, too, especially creative industries. Um, you can't fall in love with every project you work on. There are certainly projects I'm working on right now, even, that like I'm not like I'm going to fall in love with this. This is the most basic thing ever. It's, it's, it's a paycheck. Um, this is how I make my paycheck. And it's, it's just like putting chairs together. But at the same time, I have pride in how I put those words together. I have pride in how I'm designing that game. I have pride in making sure that this text is clear and clean and provides the minimal amount of problems to my clients and to my readers. Right. You know you're good at what you do. Right. Right. And so, yeah, maybe I'm not like emotionally invested in putting chairs in a row. But I want to make sure that when I do the job I'm asked to do, that I do it well, mm-hmm. so that my, my boss is happy with my work, and that I continue to get more work. Yeah. And, wow, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's some bullshit. I love the idea that you can just be. How do you feel? Do that. And that's one of the things that I do like about being a writer, is because it's so ubiquitous. Um, is that I get to hear and talk to people huge spectrum of society because I mean like let's be honest video games the higher video games the whiter and older it gets and richer it gets um, yeah. it becomes a certain there's not a lot of people of color making AAA video games um, no stuff like that so but anyone can write a story anyone can tell a story um, and so I get a chance to meet some fascinating people because we do share that common craft, that common language. Um, and, the, and the narrative designer is certainly a big part of that. Like, I have met some really more, I mean, from different countries, different ethnicities, you know, uh, lots of different genders, all through my narrative design work. That I think they kind of cluster together because, again, it's the outcasts and freaks of like, <laughs> we want to tell stories yes. and nobody gets us. We just want to sit in the corner and drink and cry. Right. It's also an Irish tradition. 
it, it, <laughs> is, it is weird, again, like, storytelling Irish pub right, podcast. This, this inadvertently doesn't be a very good place to do this. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm still not used the mustache, so there's yeah, that's fair. Some fuzz. Yeah, and of course, you know, speaking of upset too, so it's actually funny. Is like you've not seen these, but like, um, and of course, to make great audio content. But um, I have actually a bunch of tattoos on my arm now, which are all Sherlock Holmes themed specifically. I tell you what, I will. I oh, will, I will take a photo. Sure, yeah. Because because that happens on the internet. But that's something that I specifically wanted to do because when I decided that I'm 45, fuck it, my body's wrecked enough to make tattoos. Um, Something about rectum, then damn near killed him. Rectum, <laughs> yes. Um, because poop jokes. <laughs> poop jokes are always funny. No, seriously, that's cross cultural. I did fiction in my career than poop jokes. <laughs> but um, I said I want to do something. I want to do something that that that's, that's involves stories, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't want to do literature. I don't want to do anything like highbrow. Um, so I had to be Shakespeare for a while because Shakespeare is much more lowbrow than people recognize this. I'm sure you can appreciate this. Shakespeare is tons of thick and fart jokes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. What, with my tongue in your tail? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. The first time I read that in Taming the Shrew, <laughs> lost my shit. And, and I swear to god, like, um, Titus Andronicus is straight up a snuff film. Look at being murdered on stage. Yeah. And my tongue's ripped out. I'm like, what in the, this is Saw. But um, I've always been in love with Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he's been a huge inspiration of mine for, for most of my life. And also, to me, it's a nice blend of what people see as literature, quote-unquote. But it's also definitely stories written for the masses. It was, it, he wrote, yeah. paid by the word, written for magazines, yeah. trying to you know, cover his debts, and then got pissed off at his creation, tried to stop writing it, and, and he became the J.K. Rowling of his era, and people forced him to start writing again. Right. He asked for, fuck you, race, and got them. Neither here nor there. But the point is, is that Sherlock Holmes was a, is a, was a pop culture phenomenon at the time. Yeah. He was the first real pop culture hero. Um, and so I, I thought it was an appropriate tattoo to have to kind of that balance of, it can be art, but it can also be entertaining and just fun. And so, I mean, it's it's something that now I carry with me everywhere. Um but also it's just really fucking cool and that's the other thing like, it's, yeah. it's also just it just looks neat it's a flaming violin it's fucking awesome you know and sometimes that's all you need to justify I'm gonna bring us back to writing again because that's what I do but I mean it's, to a certain degree it's what writing is it's like you're putting yourself on the page it's like you're saying sometimes the most horrible shit about yourself or your fr- or through illusions your friends or things you see around you um and it, it can be hard <laughs> Like, um, I was writing a story um, about uh, a f- uh, there's a group called the Prometheans, and they're basically Frankenstein-style monsters where they're built by other people. And so I got I asked you a short story about these kinds of characters. I was like, well, I'll do a character about a... They have amnesia, and they go on a road trip to try to discover themselves. It'd be kind of fun. And right before I started writing... Um, I ended up watching CNN, and there was a lot of talk about overturning um, a, a variety of abortion bills to basically make it illegal to form to have abortions. Um, and I was so pissed off, and so this entire story became just an allegory for this woman gets built out of body parts and then treated like shit by the man who, who created her. And I put so much anger into that character 
of this woman not being able to control her own body, literally, in this case. And it really stems from watching that online, or watching that, that, that news program. And it's honestly one of my better stories, because, again, I, I, it wasn't about, explicitly about abortion, it was about just female autonomy in general, but it was also the kind of very much understanding of someone building you and controlling you against your will. There's a lot of very universal things there, but that 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 was I was really angry. I wrote the story in like a day. I was so just like all all day, all night, just poured out. I was so furious. Um, and I was really happy with the result of that, I think, because it was, again, so much of me on the page. It was a lot of just me going, yeah, but fuck you. Fuck that guy. Fuck guys like him. You know? So really angry. And so sometimes that kind of stuff can really help shape art and shape craft. Yeah. And it's also about for you, right? Like, it's like, or anyone could go on Facebook and whine and anger and bitch. I mean, anyone can do that. But there's the craft is now turning it into something that other people can find compelling and interesting. Right. Is that interesting intersection? No, it's, I think that's... I don't know why I needed to... I was trying to mentally encapsulate that to a more universal thing. But I guess that's theoretically <laughs> my job, but... <laughs> Completely tangential. Uh, I got a, I got an award. The, the the Dracula podcast I did uh, actually got an award for like best dramatic podcast, like some really? sort of like huge thing. I had no idea. Like wow. I've been trying to do more voiceover stuff, and it was yeah. just like all of a sudden, like at Magfest in January uh-huh. of 2020, <laughs> my director was like, "Oh yeah, do you know we got an award?" And I was like, "No." I just thought we were doing stuff. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that was exciting. We're doing more things. No, um, totally. That's awesome. I, I love that. But yeah, I think every time that I've, I've had some sort of emotional spur, whether it's, well, I was going to say like cocktails or like making instruments. Like I, I love making something when I can think about someone or something. Like yeah. Someone I care about. Or, or an experience, or something that, that you really have an emotional draw. But even thinking about like acting, like the most powerful kinds of engagement into a character stem from like the the uh, 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 Meisner or Stanislavski, like method acting. Yeah. Like, so you have to do an emotional state recall, right? Of being like, this is what I was. I remember this time when I felt this thing, so I have to do that because that's the only way I can. Get, that's not technically true but within those methods that's the only way you can bring that character right 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 you're not emulating emotion you're feeling emotion yeah mm-hmm. is it almost time for you it's getting close but I mean I I, I think it's still so oh gosh it's not that I always forget to make a list I always forget to bring it <laughs> um, do you have a a favorite memory or experience that involves alcohol whether it's your first drink or your first beer or a time that hey I was drinking and I met someone or like like a, a, is there a specific memory that comes out to you when you think of, of having a drink um I have good and bad memories I mean I like obviously I've already talked about um uh more specifically my uncle um he died about six well five six years ago now um, but I flew out to see my mom and I just found this trash bag full of 
um, bottles of vodka because um, he drank them all. Just, he was clearly trying to kill himself. So, I mean, I have negative But also, um, I have a lot of positive experiences. My mom was a bartender long enough ago that she was called a barmaid at the time. So that was how far along ago it was. Mm. Um, but, you know, sometimes after school, if she was a single mom, I would she okay. sometimes have to take me with her to work. And so I'd sit at the bar and study and chat with people at the bar. Um, and so while I was not drinking alcohol, I found it to be a very comfortable, pleasant experience. Right. Um, uh, uh, I am a writer in the creative industry, because a lot of business happens at bars. Um, and so I have lots of very pleasant experiences of hanging out with my friends around alcohol. Um, one of my favorite experiences was going to the, the Jamison Distillery and finding out that actually I do like whiskey. I've just been drinking the wrong whiskey all this time. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Irish whiskey. I, it, it's been scotch I don't like. Whiskey is not a problem. Well, it's, it's, Irish whiskey is scotch, but cleaner. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's not that. Then it's Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Pete. I don't feel like my own place has a fire in my face when I'm drinking it. I have since learned to appreciate scotch. It's just I had to kind of start from a place I like, then build up to there. Scotch was my first love, but also I like to destroy that. So yeah, <laughs> it's tough all thing, really. It is. <laughs> it was really hard to be like nineteen and in college, going I only drink scotch. Uh, it's an awkward experience. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but really, I think um, one of my weirdly. Uh, a pleasant moment. It starts off traumatic, but ends up being very, very cool. Is uh, I went to a, a convention for a live action role playing convention. Cool. Um, a bunch of people get together to play vampires in a hotel, um, and I was there actually specifically as a a company representative. At the time, I was working for uh, White Wolf, um, who owns the Vampire the Masquerade property, and they were trying to build relationships with the live action community. And I was the only person in the office who knew anything about how this worked. Right. It's like, we're going to send you to this convention and represent the company. It's like, cool, let's do that. Um, and uh, so the convention goes on. It's like midnight. About, things are about to wrap up. And then suddenly the police show up. And it turns out that someone fell from one of the banisters and died in the hotel. Not related to our convention. It's just a, a hotel guest got too drunk, fell over a banister and died. Um, and so everyone the convention was really freaked out. So I was just like, hey, cool, let's, you know, we have this big ballroom. We're going to stay anyway for our space. Scare everybody in there. And we had a bunch of alcohol around. Let's start getting many drinks. And uh, this is my first experience with Malort. Now, Malort, for those of you who don't know, is terrible. <laughs> if you live in Chicago, then you, only 50% chance you think it's terrible. <laughs> you and I have had conversations about Malort. Oh, and it's coming. <laughs> you don't know this. <laughs> this is actually an integral part of the podcast. Oh, no. So go on. <laughs> well, well, my first, so, so of course, my, my Chicago friends are like, we should try this. Like, me being a dumbass. Like, yeah, sure. Wow, this is, this is really terrible. Why would you do this to somebody? Um, and so, good. what we realized is that we're trying to distract a bunch of people from what's going on, and so it became, uh, uh, we, we created what's called the punishment room, which is that you could come in and ask me any question you wanted to about this, this game that you love, but you had to take a shot on the work first. <laughs> and so people, there's a lot of people going, uh, do I want to, uh, I really want to know how Bruhar work, but I want to drink that, and uh. So it was really fun because I was like, 
you know what you have to do. You know, and so I got to play. It was it was it was a fun, playful experience, weaponizing my hatred of a particular kind of alcohol against other people, which is always you know inherently fun. Yeah. But I oh, mean, yeah. also it got them off of their mind, off of things, and a lot of people still talk to today about like, I remember when you did that thing. It was so great. It was so terrible. Why did you do it to us? But I loved it. Um, it was that moment uh, of using alcohol as a way to kind of get people together to to to, to remind themselves of what's really cool and happy and good about what's happening right now. But my lord, nice. <laughs> so. Uh, at some point, we'll have to cut. <laughs> and uh, we have a shtick segment thing that we always do uh-huh. called Mixed Match Bullard. Uh-huh. And it's essentially uh, like like three-card Monty, or would have been, <laughs> except there's only two of us, right. of uh, two shots of something brown and then a shot of something Malorty. <laughs> Malort. Uh, and as, as a guest, you always get to pick first to give you the greatest <laughs> chances of not getting Malorts. Right. And then we all do the shot. Um, so I do have some alert in my truck. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to happen. So, uh, it gives me great joy in that... So uh, we have a mutual friend, Michelle. Yep. Who gave me a bottle of Malort roughly four years ago now. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit less. But uh, either, either way, she's... Is like, she still hey, your friend? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I haven't seen her since. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that I was like, she gave me the Lord, and then now it's like, yeah, oh, makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> doesn't make the alcohol any fonder. Yeah, it doesn't, certainly doesn't make it grow fonder. Um, it's a weird, weird joke. Um, <laughs> but when she gave it to me, she said, you know what, I'm going to find a way to get this on the menu at my restaurant. Right. I, I now make Malort in-house. Oh, so artisanal Malort. Yes. Wow. For a cocktail that is... Aside from the the House Manhattan, which will never leave the menu, is the only other longest running cocktail on the menu. It is fantastic. It is one of the most well balanced bourbon cocktails you will ever have. At some point, I will come. I will come to your place and try this. I have all but yeah, I only have half the ingredients in my truck. But <laughs> it's amazing. It's fantastic, and it's we call it Tom Riddle. Partly because he uses Malort, and my boss was like, "Oh, it sounds like Voldemort. Voldemort." That's funny. Like, no, no. We, well, first of all, you can't say it, so it has to be a time rule. Right. Um, but it's also, it's not as, it's not that evil. <laughs> it's only a little evil. It still tastes fantastic. Right. And it's, it was one of these great moments where, like, I got to play with something and go, "This is actually a good thing." No, totally. Uh, my lord is terrible by itself. So you should not. It's also what we use to root out serial killers. If you like it. <laughs> you probably also like choking bunnies. Yeah, I mean, and things I, I, I joke a lot about Malort. Part of it is just it's a running joke at that moment. But also, I can't talk too much because, like, um, my first experience when I, was, when I went to Iceland, I experienced Brennan there, mm. which is I love. I think Brennan's great. Hey. Yes. But, I mean, I love weird but, alcoholic drinks. I also like the taste of aniseed. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it. Um, but I assume people are like, oh my god, is terrible. And it's just like, I also, I, I, I realized after talking to a lot of people is that I got a very cold shot of it. So it really brings out the antecedent notes and really brings down the, the harshness of the actual alcohol. Yeah. So it tastes really, really good. It's, 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 you're basically just drinking licorice. Yeah. And I love it. Um, but a lot of people don't appreciate Brennan. So it's like, so I, I, intellectually, I do understand that Malort in the right context can potentially be a very good drink. So, 
I, I so I, I black licorice, licorice is my favorite taste, although I don't hate it. Mm. What I loved about Malort is I when I first started singing, um, I semi freshly like at Renaissance fairs and like magical groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's an apothecary because it was a renaissance fair why not right but he was like that was his job like that was what he did in real life mm -hmm. and so like after four shows a day for a couple of weeks I'm like my throat is killing me I'm dying he's like here's some licorice root oh. I was like okay and it does not taste like licorice at all okay. no anise flavor it tastes like dirt and burning <laughs> and it numbs your throat oh. and that's the bait it has this wonderful antiseptic quality oh wow so wow. the idea is you put like a little sliver of bark you know, in between your teeth, next to your cheek, and just kind of mildly chew it, and let your saliva run down your throat and numb your throat. Oh, okay. It has a very similar taste and quality to Malort. So, right. although Malort is still very harsh, it has a lot of those notes. It has like that okay. barky, earthy, antiseptic quality, which, if you don't drink it express expressly in a one ounce shot, but right. you use it sparingly in a cocktail. I can see that. It's fantastic. And the fact that it, it lingers on your palate forever, if you let it mix with other flavors, that means all those flavors get to linger on your palate. Right, okay. And it, it becomes this bridge to this, this magical kind of like, let's extend taste. You ever want to taste that thing for a while without having to chew again? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Pringles. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the best of all of that without having to eat more or drink more. Like, and I... I love it for that, and I love it really for me. It has that that kind of like that callback to an even earlier time where I had a lot of fun and sang till my throat was just bone dry and red sword, and I would chew on bark so I could do it more. Right? Yeah. And it just sounds badass. Yeah. <laughs> but it it's it's that, and you know, no one I serve that cocktail to ever knows that. Right. But they go, oh my god, it's got this really weird, complex flavor that just lasts. Forever. But I mean, I think I think it just goes back to what we were talking earlier: is that you put yourself in that cocktail in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You have an emotional connection to that cocktail because oh, yeah. you're putting yourself into that, and you have it, and so you care more about that, and you that that matters. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very kind of almost ineffable thing, but like, there's a point where if you have enough craft and you put enough motion to it, the craft is almost kind of secondary at a certain point. It's a game entirely articulate exactly what elements of craft, sort of craft you're doing to make that because your emotions kind of just filling in the gaps. Right. It's, it's, I wish there was more explicit way of explaining that, but the reality is with creativity sometimes it's just a little it's hard to explain. Anyway, I'm going to pee again real quick. Yeah, no, I, I'm feeling that pressure too. So, what we're going to do as this is the, the, what we call mix match malort. Okay. Because I love alliteration. <laughs> is we're gonna have Pendleton Midnight in one of these little cups. And we're gonna do Malort uh -huh. in the other. <laughs> so that is that is a thing that is going to happen. So I'm gonna randomly shuffle these two glasses okay. uh, uh, and you're gonna turn around and uh, when you turn back around you're going to pick one. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll just put my hands behind my back, something, something along those lines. Okay. <laughs> Tell you what, you turn yeah, around. Yeah, because I can't actually see the difference between the two, so. <laughs> you can, you can. So I'm going to take these. Okay. Uh, you turn around. I'm going to put one in one hand, one in the other. Helps for singing two different songs entirely. I'm sorry. Let me recover. Okay. So as you turn back around. Okay. You're going to look at me, and, and I'm not going to give you any physical tell as to <laughs> which hand behind my back has the malort and which has 
Shit. The Pendleton. So you're going to point at one shoulder. Uh, this is that one. I, actually, I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay. And it's been dark enough. That's it. Okay. Mm. I definitely lost. <laughs> is that Malort? That's good. No, that's you got the good one. Oh, that's nice. I'm starting to like Malort a lot. <laughs> I have survived. <laughs> that was, congratulations. <laughs> it burns. It burns us. It burns us. It's just so now you have to find an excuse to bring me on again so you can try to nail me again next time. Oh, man. Whew. <laughs> hey, you're still listening. That must mean you enjoyed this interview. So please, please, please uh, leave us a like, leave us a comment, a review on whatever podcast service you're listening to. That really helps us out. Also, send us uh, send us an email at wastedknowledgepodcast at gmail.com or say hello on Twitter and Instagram, wastedkpodcast, at wastedkpodcast. Uh, if you want to support us, patreon.com forward slash wasted knowledge also would be fantastical. Uh, of course, you can always say hello to us on any of those and find all of our seasons uh, or all of our episodes for both seasons on any service and on our webpage. So please take care of each other, drink responsibly, and as soon as there is no glo- worldwide pandemic, get a safe ride home. Cheers.